Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. I just want to read a couple verses of scripture to get us started here today. Man, if presence of God is powerful in this place this morning. Amen. Amen. Romans 1, starting with verse 21, reading through 22. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Amen. I want to talk this this Thanksgiving week. I want to talk about knowledge and glory and thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Look at one more person and say, I am really glad you're here today. You may be seated. God bless you. With this Thanksgiving week upon us and many traditions beginning to be played out, I think it's good to remind us of the biblical perspective of thankfulness. And in so doing, I must also point out the destructive path of being unthankful. There was a call for many years for a national day of thanks. And 1621 is historically recognized as the first harvest feast with the Wampanoag Indians and the pilgrims, one of the earlier recognized voices was Sarah Joseph Hale, who spent 36 years lobbying for a national recognized Thanksgiving holiday. She was the author of many books of poetry and literature, including one you may have heard of, Mary Had a Little Lamb. It is often referred to as the mother of Thanksgiving. Abraham Lincoln eventually took the official step, and these are some of the quotes from his address to the nation in October 3rd of 1863. Listen closely to some of these excerpts from the speech he gave proclaiming this national Thanksgiving holiday. He said, the year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever watchful providence of almighty God. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise. A day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in 
the heavens. If you didn't recognize the date that I mentioned at the beginning of that Lincoln speech, Lincoln did this in the middle of the Civil War. At this point in the war, several very destructive and deadly battles had already occurred and overwhelming number of families were losing their fathers, husbands, and sons. And the war was starting to make a very direct impact on the home front and the realities of their everyday life and what they had been accustomed to had begun to change dramatically. And so it may seem odd, out of place, or out of context to think it, the ridiculousness it may seem of him making statements at that time in human history and saying fruitful fields and healthful skies are upon us. But he points that out on purpose because he wants to make the next statement. He does so specifically so that he can say we are prone to forget the source from which these blessings come, the ever watchful providence of the almighty God. Lincoln very much knew what state the nation was in, but he also understood the power of being thankful. There is something very powerful about thankfulness. Romans tells us of a people that knew God. They knew God. That phrase that is used there means to know absolutely, to have an understanding of. This was not a people that were experiencing God for the first time. The writer of Romans, the Apostle Paul, he's not talking about a people who are still unsure about the expectations or about what God is capable of. They had opportunity and experience, amen, to be assured of the Lord. At some point, they recognized him as God alone, and they had begun to worship him as God alone in their personal life. He was their God, supreme divinity, almighty, powerful one, the only God. God, not just another God in a long list of gods. They hadn't just added him, uh, amen, to their list, but they had decided uh, that any God they had ever worshipped before was no longer worthy of their worship uh, because they had come in contact with one supreme divinity. They had come to know that there was one God. Oh, hallelujah. And so they are understanding that he is God. They know him, the Bible says, is God. This term for God does not change throughout the scripture text. It doesn't change into another defined word or defined a different way. He is still God when the Bible says they glorified him not as God. He is still the same God that they had given their worship to. God doesn't become something else when we start honoring and magnifying him. He doesn't suddenly become God just because we decide to worship him as God. He was always God before we cared about him at all. And that means he also does not become something less when we stop worshiping him and we stop being thankful and we turn our back on him. He does not become something less. He is still the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipotent God of heaven. He's the same God. Malachi 3 says, I am the Lord, I change not. Oh, hallelujah. When you honor God with your worship and faithfulness to him, it blesses you. It blesses me when I honor God with my worship. It blesses me when I am faithful to him. It blesses me when I am thankful to him. It blesses me. And when I choose to quit doing that, it hurts me. 
Oh, hallelujah. It works against me. It doesn't turn out the way I hoped it was. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whether or not I'm going to walk in his blessings is not about what kind of God he is today. Whether or not I'm going to be able to be a part of his protection has nothing to do with what kind of God he is today. It has everything to do with what I'm going to be today. Am I going to be a worshiper? Am I going to give him glory? Am I going to be thankful? Am I going to serve the Lord or am I going to choose to do something else? It all depends on me. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. Look at it now. Understand the process. There is something that is directly connected to our decision to not honor God. They glorified him not as God. Neither were Thankful. They didn't glorify him as God and neither were they thankful. We encounter God. At some point, we encounter him. And oh, what an encounter that is. (laughs) Can you remember the first time you encountered the Lord? I mean, for real, for real. You remember? Amen. It wasn't a light moment. It wasn't some moment that you'll easily forget. The first time you encounter God, whether it's in a church house or a jail house, it don't matter. The first time you really encounter God, you know that you've encountered God. There's something that fundamentally changes about you forever. Whether you're going to live for him or not, serve him or not, amen, and and talk to him or not, there is something that flips in your brain and in your spirit when you encounter God for real that you can never flip back again. You can try to deny him with your mouth all you want, but there is something inside of your spirit that says, I know God is real. I know God is alive. I know God is powerful. So we encounter God and we understand him to be God and we glorify him appropriately as God. And we, his presence in our lives changes us, doesn't change him. He's the same, it changes us, we change. We become better, stronger, and purer versions of ourselves. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. We're filled with gratitude for what God has done in us. We are overcome with gratitude by the changes that have taken place in our lives. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Then we decide that he no longer is worthy of our time. Maybe not worthy of our efforts or our energy or our glory. Our view of him begins to change. He's still the supreme God. We just don't see him as relevant as much as we used to. We don't see him as necessary as we once used to. We share our glory with other things. We share our glory with other ideologies and other philosophies. We begin to view him as less and others and including ourselves as more. And what is automatic? What is automatic in that process? We become unthankful as our view begins to change our thankfulness begins to lessen glorifying God as the supreme divinity the one true God is necessary because it keeps my perspective right amen it keeps my mind right There's an attitude that needs to be had that we find in John chapter 3 and verse 30 where he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. 
Oh, hallelujah. When we begin to quit glorifying God and we begin to become unthankful, we no longer think I need to decrease and he needs to increase. We start thinking I need to increase. We start thinking, I kind of like this new life I got. I kind of like all this new stuff I'm working with. I I can see myself as so much more than I ever thought I could see myself as before. And the problem with that, it's okay if you're still walking hand in hand with the Lord. But if you started to lessen your glory and your thankfulness, it just becomes all about you and not about him. And the Bible says, I must decrease and he must increase. Lacking thankfulness is not the end, but it's the beginning of destruction. It's not just being unthankful. Oh, hallelujah. But become, the verse says, they were unthankful, but become vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Mm. They became vain. That phrase means to passively become foolish and morally wicked. To passively become. It's not forced upon them. This came from their own mind. The devil didn't do this. They did this. Demons didn't conspire against them. They simply just started trusting in their own ideologies. They just started listening to their own voice, doing it their own way, and they became vain, passively foolish, morally wicked. Proverbs 28 tells us this, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. The Bible is clear on the issue. We mess ourselves up when we leave God out of it. Things get messed up when we leave God out of it. Decisions are made incorrectly when we leave God out of it. We go in the wrong direction when we leave God out of it. Therefore, it says, they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Therefore, it says, their their thoughts and their feelings became dark and obscure. That's what it means by their foolish heart was darkened. And when when we see another scripture then become a reality, Luke 6 tells us this, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For uh, of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Oh, hallelujah. Their foolish heart was darkened. And what was on the inside started happening on the outside. That's how it always happens. When the inside gets corrupted, oh, oh, the church people might not see it right away. And pastor may be late to realizing what's going on. And no one else in your family may, may know. But when it gets wrong on the inside, eventually everybody's going to know. Because eventually what's on the inside is going to be on the outside. When our foolish hearts are darkened and we become vain, we are strongly encouraged in the Bible to remain thankful. We are strongly encouraged by Scripture to understand that thankfulness is a gauge of our relationship with the Almighty God. 
not just internally, but externally thankful, to proclaim our thankfulness to the world, to be boldly thankful. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. To be boldly thankful. The psalmist in 100, the 100th psalm, a psalm of praise, says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. The psalmist said, I need to teach you a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. I need to teach you a psalm that reminds you he is God and I am not. I didn't create myself and I can't save myself. I need a creator and I need a savior and there is a God that stands upon the throne of heaven who is able and ready to do it. Oh, hallelujah. If we could enter into the spirit of this psalm, every day would be a thanksgiving day. Hallelujah. Every day would be a thanksgiving day. The psalmist invites all the earth to enter into the courts of God's house with joyful song. He invites, and he says in many of the psalms, and many of the other psalms, that the minor chords overpower the major ones, and weeping prevails over rejoicing, but not this one. This psalm is full of unclouded sunlight. It's full of joy. It's full of strength. It's full of beauty. It's a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. Oh, hallelujah. Thanksgiving. Why is it so positive and full of thankfulness? Know ye that the Lord, he is God. He made us and we didn't make ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. His truth endures to all generations. When we get Thanksgiving right, we get life right. You hear me today? I said when we get Thanksgiving right, I'm not talking about the turkey and the stuffing. And I shouldn't even have said the words. I just lost half of you just now. Just lost you. Mm. A second portion, Lord. Don't start. Now, you're, now people are just screaming out things. I heard mashed potatoes and butter. We're not making a recipe here. When we get Thanksgiving right, and I mean Thanksgiving like the 100th Psalm, when we get a life of Thanksgiving, a heart of Thanksgiving, when we get that right, we get life right. We get life right. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me tell you that if you don't proclaim your thankfulness of God, you're going to proclaim something. You're You're proclaiming something. Your life is proclaiming something professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Unwilling to glorify God, they are left only to glorify themselves. I think I can do this on my own. I think I finally got this life thing figured out. I think I can do it by myself. 
I think God and faith and church are nice, but I mean, they're not that necessary, really. It's really not that important. I, I, I'm th- it, it helped me to get me back on my feet, but I got it now. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Their foolishness was immediately noticeable. The more they talked, the more it showed itself. You know, Abraham Lincoln is often quoted, actually Brother Lear was often said it as well, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. (laughs) Brother Lear loved that quote. It's good advice. There are times in life when you just need to. But not when it becomes about thankfulness. We should never shut up about our thankfulness to God. We should be worried if we haven't been thankful yet today. We should be worried about our spiritual condition if we go a week without being thankful for what God has done for us. It ought to be a barometer. It ought to be a gauge. It ought to be a red flag in our life, something, a symbol that something is not right. If I'm just going through life and I'm just thinking about what I need to do and how I need to do it, and I'm focusing on all my stuff and my thoughts, and I haven't stopped to thank God for just being God. Amen. You got plenty to thank him for. He may have brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He may have healed your body. He may have healed your mind or your marriage. He may have turned your whole situation around. You have a lot to be thankful for but even if you can't think of anything at the moment you ought to thank him for just being God I said you ought to thank him for just being God you ought to thank him that the sun came up again today you ought to thank him that there's breath in your lungs and a beating heart in your chest you ought to thank him for everything that you've ever had at any moment in your life be thankful unto him and bless his name Oh, hallelujah. Many people like to use God and put him in their little box. But what does that profess about their lives? Titus 1 and 16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Oof. That's some harsh words there. That's some really harsh words in the scripture. And what, is those, what are those harsh words reserved for? People who profess they know God, but in their works they deny him. Jesus said that he would profess something about those type of people someday. Matthew 7, 23. And then will I profess unto them I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I know that's harsh. I probably should have given you a warning first before I read that one. He says one day, those who have professed themselves to be wise and they're fools and those who say they believe in me, but they deny my works. He says one day I'm going to profess something about them. I'm going to profess that I never knew them. 
We never had a relationship. We never had a real connection. They said they knew me, but they didn't pursue me. They said they knew me, but they didn't pray to me. They said they knew me, but they weren't thankful for me after everything I did for them on Calvary, after everything I did for their life, after everything I brought them out of, after every time I showed up again with grace and mercy and followed them every single day of their life. They said they knew me, but they didn't know me. We never had a real relationship. And because we never had a real relationship, Relationship, they will have to depart me, depart from me because they are workers of iniquity. I don't want to be professed that way by God. I want to be professed as a child of the King. I want to be professed as one who gave their life to serve the Lord. I want to be professed as one who's willing to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. What is in our heart matters today. What we profess matters. Who God is matters. Who we think we are matters. They became fools. It's an interesting phrase, they became fools. It means to become insipid or to lose savor. It means spiritless, boring, uninterested, weak, shallow, bland. That's what they became. That's what they became. To lose their savor. Matthew 5 says, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. In our vain attempts at enlightenment, humanity keeps trying to accept everything and make everything okay. But it negates the purpose of God who calls us out of the world and into his marvelous light. Our desire to accept everything and every ideology and everyone's view on anything at all negates God's plan of calling us out of darkness. It takes faith. This, this, this desire to accept everything, it, it takes what faith is and instead, instead makes it about feelings. It makes the word of God just another way of life, just another possible road to follow. It changes the reason for it all. Well, I think we should accept this thought and this ideology. We should accept, we should just accept everybody's thinking on everything. When you do that, there is one that you will not be able to accept. God, because he won't go down that road with us. From time to time, I still see the coexist bumper sticker. You've seen it on the back of cars, perhaps, or stuck on a wall somewhere. It says coexist, and every letter has a symbol that represents a system of thought. 
and ideology, the crescent and the star for Islam, the pentagram for Wicca or witchcraft, the relativity formula for science, the star of David for Judaism, the karma wheel dotting the eye for Buddhism, the Tao symbol for Taoism, the cross for Christianity. Somebody thought they had a good idea. Just everybody should just accept everything. God's word is against that type of thinking. I want to be very clear what I'm about to say. The Bible is for people. The Bible is for humanity. Humanity is called his highest creation. He did for humanity more than he did for anything else. He loved humanity, all of humanity, not Christian humanity, all of humanity. He loved all humanity enough to go to Calvary. But the Bible is against that type of thinking because it is for people, but it is not for all the ideas that people can come up with. Amen. I have no doubt in my mind that God has been for me. God has been for me every day of my life. I can point you to thing after thing, blessing after blessing, moment after moment that is absolute proof that there's a God in heaven that is for me. But he has not been for every idea that has popped into my brain. He has not been for every decision I've ever made. He has not been for everything I ever thought for a moment might be right or righteous. There were times when he said, I love you, but that's a bad idea. I love you, but you can't go down that road. I love you, but if you make that decision, it's going to end badly for you. I love you, but if you go there, it's going to be hard to come back from that. I love you, but that's a sin, and you need to repent of that. I love you, but you better get your act together or you're going to be a fool and you're going to become unwise. I'm thankful that God is for me, but I'm also thankful he's not been for every idea that's ever popped into my head. I need a God who has all authority and all power, who sits upon one singular throne in heaven. I need a God. I need a God to tell me when I am unwise. And becoming foolish and my heart is becoming dark. I need a God to smack me upside the head. And say, get your act together. I need a God. Oh, hallelujah. We see in scripture in Philippians 2. Coming to a close. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee, every knee should bow. Not just those who claim Christianity, every knee should bow of things in heaven and in things in earth and in things under the earth, and that every tongue, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every tongue doesn't get to confess whatever they want to be Lord. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And then John three sixteen. 
But don't stop at 16. Keep reading. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth that him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3.16 is not a scripture that paints the picture of a God who loves you no matter what you do and no matter what you believe and no matter how you live your life. He just loves everybody and everybody gets to go to heaven. That is not what John 3.16 is telling us. It's telling us he did not come to condemn us, but our lifestyle condemns ourselves. Our sinfulness condemns us. Our society wants so desperately to have and live enlightened lives, but the way they go about it simply causes more confusion. If you want to see and know in this world, if you want light and clarity, John 8, 12, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. And he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You want enlightenment? Get Jesus. You want to know you want to have understanding? You want to have knowledge? Get Jesus and glorify him as God and be thankful unto him and bless his name. That's where it's coming from. That's where the light comes in. That's where the truth is found. That's where you can find what your soul is searching for. You say, preacher, I've tried this and I've tried that. These people say they're right. These people say they're right. Everybody thinks that their way is better than the other one else's way. Why am I supposed to listen to you? Well, I tried hard today to use the Bible. I don't want you to just listen to me. I wanted you to listen to the scriptures. I want you to listen to what it says in the book. Now, if you don't believe in the Bible, all right. But give God a chance anyway. And I bet he could change that. I'm not telling you that I'm perfect, these people are perfect, or this place is perfect. I'm telling you our God is perfect. I'm not saying I have all the answers, we have all the answers, or our church has all the answers. I'm saying Jesus has all the answers. Hallelujah. And we have an opportunity now in this place. We have an opportunity today to come into this place and decide if we want to give God a chance. We have an opportunity today to repent if we've gone too long. It's been too long since we were thankful. We have an opportunity today to repent if we've become wise in our own eyes and we think we've got this thing all figured out now. We have an opportunity to repent before we become vain in our imaginations and our foolish hearts become darkened. Before we get lost in the darkness of our own destruction, we have an opportunity to come before the Lord and say, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry and I need forgiveness. 
The Bible teaches us that the first steps to Christ are extremely simple. The first steps of faith are extremely simple. You already have faith because God put in you a measure of faith. I'm not saying you believe in the Bible or believe in God or you can quote a scripture, but there's a measure of faith that God put in you when he created you. And you're starting to feel that right now. To use a modern word, your faith has been triggered by my preaching today. Your faith is starting to stir. And that faith leads us to a very simple first step. And that is repentance. Repentance. Saying, Lord, I am a sinner. And I do need forgiveness. And I have sinned against you, God. And I need you to forgive me. And I'm sorry for the things that I've done. From your heart to God. Not to me, not to someone in this place, but your heart to God. We need to repent today of our sins. The Bible teaches us that after we repent, we become a candidate for baptism. And baptism in the Bible was done by immersion in the water. Completely, the Bible says, buried with him. We're buried with Christ. It's our connection to the gospel. It's how we are connected to the gospel. Repentance is a death and a burial is in baptism and we are raised up in the newness of life. And in the scriptures, when we read about baptism, we read that they understood that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all had one name because it's one God and that one name that is above every name that every knee is going to bow to and every tongue is going to confess is Jesus. And when they baptize people in the Bible, they baptize them in the water and they baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins so that the guilt and the condemnation and all of the junk, the baggage that they've carried from their sins, every sin they've ever committed in their entire life is wiped away. And we are, as it were, born again. The new birth experience, as some have called it. And then, in this moment of, with God, in this moment of burial, we find for the first time what it feels like. What it feels like to be pure, clean. And I tell everybody I've ever baptized, you didn't become an angel. It may have felt like you could fly out of that baptismal tank, but you didn't become an angel. And there's going to be some days ahead where you're going to have to use baptism's teammate repentance. You're going to have to keep a repentant heart. But I promise you, if you get baptized the Bible way, you'll be thankful for it the rest of your days. And the Bible says that we can become vessels. That we become vessels by which the Holy Spirit can enter into. And as I preached about last week, the evidence of the Spirit coming into these vessels is we begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gives the evidence. It's powerful and it's wonderful. It's life-changing. And that's all just the beginning. 
It's just the beginning. Stand with me if you would, please. Let me ask you a question. By the raising of hands, how many are thankful that repentance works? I'm thankful repentance works. Let me ask you this question by the raising of hands. How many are still thankful that you were baptized in Jesus' name, immersed in the water the way the Bible says to be baptized? By the raising of hands, how many are thankful that you surrendered your life to Christ and he filled you with his spirit, speaking with other tongues as the spirit of God gave the utterance? I'm thankful today. We've got plenty to be thankful for today. I'm thankful I'm alive. I'm thankful I'm here. You may not even know why you're here today. Somebody may have asked you two or three days ago if you were going to be in church, and you may have laughed at them. And now you suddenly find yourself sitting in a church on a Sunday and thinking, what in the world am I doing with these crazy people? Let me tell you something I like to say. You're in the right place at the right time. And God wants to move on all of us today. The front of this building is intentionally left open because this is our altar response area. You already saw people step out during worship and come forward to worship. You saw people come forward to be prayed for. I'm inviting you now, whosoever will, to come from where you are. Step out as a symbol of faith, as a step of faith. Step out from where you are and just come forward. Nobody's going to make you do anything. Nobody's going to pressure you to do anything. This is your will coming to God and coming to prayer. When you get up here, would you raise a hand or two would you lift your eyes towards heaven and would you begin to call upon the name of Jesus thank you for listening to our podcast this week we hope you enjoyed this message remember if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.